Thanks for joining us for worship. Due to the current COVID-19 measures, we're not able to gather in person. However, our communities need your support more than ever, and every offering is a blessed gift. Did you know that you can specify if you'd like your offering used for our local missions and services that go directly to help those in our community that need it the most? We'd like to thank each and every one of you whether you've donated time or treasure to keep our churches going through the current COVID-19 measures. If you'd like to send an offering, you can send it to treasurer at graceunitedhanover.ca or mail 310 12th Street, Hanover, Ontario, Canada, N4N1V6. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. May we feel God's Spirit joining us together in this time of worship. May we feel the love of community holding us and caring for us now and always. My name is Adam Olivero, and I am the chair of the Affirming Committee at Grace United Church in Hanover, Ontario. The Affirming Committee is very excited and proud to take over the June 27th, 2021 church service. I did want to mention that the uh, our Reverend uh, McCall Cottrell is currently on vacation until near the end of July. And if you do require pastoral care in that time, you can feel free to reach out to the Reverend Tessica Hackshaw. Tessica's contact information can be found on our church's Facebook page or by contacting the Grace United Church office. As you welcome us into your home, we welcome you into ours. While we may not be able to gather in person, many events continue to happen at Grace United Church online. For more information about our book club, exercise groups, ukulele groups for children and all ages, and more, please see our weekly email announcements or contact the church office. I encourage you to contact the church office and also sign up for our mailing list to keep informed about what's happening at Grace. As we enter into this time of worship, we remember that for thousands of years, Indigenous people have walked upon this land and that their relationship with the land is at the center of their lives and spirituality. We recognize that we are all treaty people. At Grace United Church, we are part of Sogging Treaty 45 and a half, and we are gathered on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Ojibwe, Anishinaabek, and Métis people. We acknowledge the part the church has played in an ongoing history of oppression and colonization. We pray that God may ever lead us into building right relationships. Come, let us worship. May the light of Christ shine brightly all around us. Amen. Let us center ourselves in prayer. Let us pray. Let us celebrate who each of us is, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity. All of us are made in the image and likeness of the divine. All of us may not be part of the rainbow community, but we are not apart from it either. Let us celebrate holy love. Let us pray. Holy One, who breathes life into each one of us and all of creation, we give thanks for the wonderful diversity of your creation. Help us to hold one another closely in love compassion and celebration that we may give thanks that we are all your children in the name of Jesus 
we make this prayer. Amen. Good morning. Our minute for mission this morning is entitled, Where Food and Community Grow. Over the last year, the need for food has skyrocketed. Since the pandemic began, Fred Victor, a charity based in Toronto, Ontario, has served over 180,000 free and low-cost meals to people in need, a 40% increase over previous years. Growing food security issues are just one of the reasons why Fred Victor's community gardens are so necessary right now. In addition to providing vital food services, shelter and counseling, and job training for, to support people living in poverty and experiencing homelessness, Fred Victor runs over 240 gardens where local community members garden together it is an activity that can still enjoy amid lockdown restrictions. The pandemic has pushed more people into poverty. More people are experiencing food insecurity and hunger. That is why we see these gardens as more than just plots of land with plants growing in them for every harvest that makes its way onto plates and into bellies and for every resident who feels empowered by their surroundings. These gardens represent our vision for healthy and thriving communities, says Keith Hamley, Fred Victor's CEO. Today, over 200 families, many of whom live in poverty, grow their own nutritious food through these gardens. But the food itself isn't the only benefit of the gardening program. At Fred Victor, Gardening isn't just about growing food, it's about, about growing community too. What we grow reflects our community's vibrant culture diversity in our gardens. Kiwi and grow alongside strawberries, carrots and garlic, which grow alongside indigenous healing and ceremonial plants such as tobacco and sage, says Mark, Mark Woodnut, Fred Victor's Senior Manager, Community Foods center. Gardening and nutritional education, healthy food choices, and strong relationships are cornerstones of the gardening initiative. And there are plans to expand. We're looking to expand the program over the next year, turning plots at one of our locations into a micro farm that will supply fresh vegetables to the meals served out of our community hub. Woodnut explains. The gifts through mission and service not only help feed families, but also support building healthy communities through organizations like Fred Victor. Thank you for helping your neighbors across our country flourish. Amen. The scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. The reading includes two healing stories, synagogue leader's daughter restored to life, and a woman with a hemorrhage healed. In a characteristic of Mark and style, we have a story within a story. Uh, the interruption of the first story uh, builds suspense. A woman from the crowd uh, comes out and, and uh, stops Jesus on his way to help the uh, synagogue leader's daughter. And so uh, we wonder, you know, will he make it in time? So we read, when Jesus had crossed again to the other shore in a boat, a large crowd gathered, and he stayed by the lakeside. Then, 
One of the synagogue officials, Jairus by name, came up and seeing Jesus, fell down and pleaded earnestly, saying, My little daughter is desperately sick. Come lay your hands on her and make her better and save her life. Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed, pressing them on all sides. Now, there was a woman who had suffered from hemorrhages for 12 years. After long and painful treatment uh, from various doctors, she had spent all that she had without getting better. In fact, she was getting worse. She had heard about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and, and touched his cloak. If I can only touch his hem, she told herself, I'll be well again. Immediately, the flow of blood dried up. Uh, and, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately wearing, aware of the healing power that had gone out from him, Jesus turned to the crowd and said, you know, who, who touched me? Uh, the disciples said, you, you see how the crowd is pressing in, and, and yet you say, who touched me? But Jesus continued to look around to see who had done it. Then the woman came forward, frightened and, and trembling, because she knew what had happened to her. And she fell at Jesus' feet and told him the whole truth. My daughter, Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be free of your affliction. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of the synagogue official to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But Jesus overheard the remark and said to the official, no, don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and James' brother, John. They came to the official's house and Jesus noticed all the commotion with people weeping and wailing unrestrainedly. Why all this commotion and crying? The child is not dead, but asleep. At this, they began to ridicule him, and he told everyone to leave. He took the child's mother and father and his own companion and entered the room where the child lay. Taking her hand, uh, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. Immediately, the girl, who was 12 years old, got up and began to walk about. At this, they were overcome with astonishment. Jesus gave the family strict orders not to let anyone know about it and told them to give the little girl something to eat. For the word of God in Scripture for the word among us and for the word within, we say, thanks be to God. Amen. We pray. Through my words or in spite of my words, may your living word be witness to, may it touch us, take us further on our journey in faith, this we pray, in Christ's name, Christ the living word. Amen. Today I'm pleased to participate with other members of uh, Grace United Church's Affirming Committee in leading worship. It is fitting that our committee close our, 
uh, United Church Pride Month, so insightfully and sensitively introduced June 6th by our minister, uh, McCall Cottrell. Our United Church has a long history of gender justice and human rights action. That process has been gradual over the decades. It has been deliberate, conducted with much prayer, with biblical reflection, theological discussion, with widespread consultation across the church, and with what I would call evolving conscience. Evolving conscience is the way watchword because the Spirit leads us to greater insights uh, through time. That I'm convinced of. Many in initiatives such as inclusive language, human sexuality, marriage policy, the role of women in our church and culture, uh, eligibility for ordination, LGBTQIA and two-spirited rights, uh, indigenous relations, and racism have all come under the lens of inclusive justice. Since the 1970s, the United Church has called for all people, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation, to be given equal rights, including full access to housing, health care, employment, and education. In 1988, our church passed an important milestone when the General Council declared all persons, regardless of their sexual orientation, who profess faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to him, are welcome to become full members of the United Church of Canada. And added, all members of the United Church of Canada are eligible to be considered for ordin ordered ministry. In 2003, the 38th General Council affirmed lesbian and gay partnerships and recognized them in church documentations and in services of blessing. By 19, or pardon me, by 2004, during my ministry here at Grace Church, our official board approved that policy, and after a series of workshops open to members of the congregation, they, uh, they approved it. On March 5th, 2004, I conducted the first same-gender wedding in Grace Church. For me, personally, it was one of the most emotional weddings that I have conducted in more than 50 years of ordination. Grace Church lost some members then, but as a church, I'm convinced that we grew in appreciation of the importance of the unconditional love of God, the expansive inclusive love that reaches far and wide. The policy of an op open marriage was uh, a step forward, but it was only a beginning. Since then, there's been some confusion. Some people assume that inclusive marriage policy was the same as being an inclusive and welcoming church. An inclusive marriage policy, as important as it is, is but one aspect among several deliberate, publicly expressed, intentional, and explicit actions to demonstrate that a church actually is an open, inclusive community. Until a church declares its inclusiveness publicly as policy, uh, it is welcoming really in name only. Every church 
considers itself welcoming. I don't know a church that wouldn't say uh, that it is uh, uh, anything but welcoming. But when a church says it's welcoming, it usually means that it welcomes people just like us, white, middle class. As in the United Church at large, the movement of the Holy Spirit is persistent and is gradual here in, in Grace Church. The work of gender justice, racial justice, human rights justice continues in our church and in the United Church of Canada as a work in progress. The vision of the affirming committee is that Grace Church soon becomes an affirming ministry. Surely that's the only option when God's expansive and inclusive love is the mandate of the church. As I reflect on today's scripture readings within the context of the affirming movement, the question stands out. You know, what can anyone who reaches out to the church in trust hope to experience? Well, consider what happens in the scripture. Two individuals take a risk. They reach out to Jesus. Uh, one is a leader of the synagogue and the other a woman who was hemorrhaging. They both reach out in an act of desperation. The synagogue's leader's 12-year-old daughter lies near death. She has reached the age when in her culture she is now eligible for marriage. Life ought to be opening up for her. Instead, it closes. The hemorrhaging woman has suffered for 12 years, the years that the little girl was growing toward maturity. Uh, this woman has spent all her money. She must have had some wealth to finance 12 years of doctor care, but nothing happened, nothing improved. In fact, she is getting worse. The synagogue leader is an honored citizen. He is a leader of the community, respected. The woman, by virtue of her illness, has no status. She is ritually unclean, marginalized, most likely lives anonymously. She's hidden. <laughs> uh, hidden like she was the day in the crowd she reached out to Jesus. These two people represent the opposite ends of the social register. Can't you see the leader elbowing his, his, his way to Jesus, all the while shouting repeatedly above the, the noise of the crowd, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, help me. My daughter's dying. Come, come, please, come lay hands on her. Make her well again. How will Jesus react? You know, he had a hard time in the synagogue when he healed the man with a crippled hand. He's had trouble, you know, uh, with with organized religion. It's not his his forte. How will Jesus react? Well, he doesn't doesn't hesitate at all. Off they go. The man, Jesus, Jesus' disciples, and of course, the crowd. Can you see the woman in the crowd? No, you can't. 
She's invisible, but she's determined. She's heard about Jesus. If she can only squeeze through the crowd when he passes by, and if she can just reach out, even with her index finger, to, to, to touch his clothes, even, even the hem, she is sure that she would be uh, healed. That would be enough. She'd be cured. And so she reaches out. She touches. She is cured. She knows because she feels it inside. But uh uh-oh, trouble. (laughs) Jesus stops. How is he going to react? He looks over the crowd. He asks a foolish question, according to his disciples, of "Who, who touched me? Suddenly, the invisible woman is in full view. She's terrified. Her hemorrhage that rendered her richly uh, richly unclean meant that she ought not have even been in the crowd. She falls trembling at Jesus' feet. But she's a courageous one, and she tells him the whole truth. Isn't that something? Twelve years of suffering, isolation, non-status, and now impoverishment, she tells the whole truth. How will Jesus react? Without hesitation, with not a thought to conventional rules of ritual cleansers, he speaks, daughter, daughter. In one word, he crosses social boundaries. He offers the woman respect. He gives her life back to her. Daughters are connected. Daughters are related. Daughters are family. Daughters are are part of the community. This woman is a daughter of Abraham, a child of God. Daughter, your trusting openness, your longing is the channel of grace. Shalom, God, God's peace, God's, God's wellness, well-being, God's wholeness. Go in God's peace, you are whole again. Now, after this grace-filled interruption, Jesus is about to continue toward the dying little girl when word arrives that, that she has died. Jesus puts his arm around the father's shoulder and says, have no fear, just trust. The weeping and wailing is deafening when they reach the house. Jesus asks the meaning of the commotion. Again, he's told that the girl, uh, girl is dead. No, no, no. She's not dead, she's sleeping. But the know-it-alls laugh and ridicule him. And so he orders them out, kicks them out. He takes the little one by the hand. He tells her to get up, she does. And that's not all. Compassionate Jesus, the sensitive one, the one who is always fully in the moment, tells his parents, her parents, pardon me, to feed her. He is fully alert to this girl's need. You see, she is not number two on Jesus' daily healing list. She is a real person. She, too, is a daughter of Abraham, a child of God. What should the church hear from these stories about how it ought to act toward people I guess the people who walk by a church's door because they have no reason to believe that the church 
is for people like them. Well, first, I think the church always has to recognize that the religion of Jesus is not the same as the religion of Christianity. Does that shock you? You see, the religion of Jesus is unconditional love, love that includes everyone, love that reaches out across boundaries, barriers, uh, it reaches to everyone because everyone has that spark of God in them, a child of God. Everyone, as a child of God, is worthy of God's love. Jesus spent his entire ministry breaking down barriers that divide us in an effort to bring about this reign of the unconditional love of God. By contrast, the religion of Christianity has a long history of saying who is worthy of God's love and who isn't. Christian religion, you know, makes long lists of sinners and saints. It makes rules and regulations. It erects hurdles and barriers that make it difficult for God's children to know and experience unconditional love. Think of the history. The religion of Christianity supported the burning of heretics. Christian religion supported slavery. The Christian religion supported colonial conquest. Christian religion supported the superiority of the white race. Christian religion supported male domination and the subjugation of women. You see, when you look at it through history, the religion of Christianity is downright ugly. No wonder people are suspicious and fearful of the church. What should people expect? They should be able to trust that they will not be rejected by the church They should be able to trust that they will be received and they will be respected and honored as persons. They have a right to believe that they have dignity for who they are. They should be able to trust that the church has a place for them, that they belong, and that they will be safe within that community. They should be able to trust that their isolation is removed. And above all, they should be able to trust that they have as much race to the grace and the love of God as anyone. And so Jesus' short walk from the lakeside to the bedside of that little girl his walk interrupted by that beautiful exchange with the healed woman is the walk of unconditional love. Church, take notice. It is a movement of undiscriminating love. It is a wide circle of, of expansive love. It is a, is a wellspring so large that you can set your heart that the church has a place for everyone, regardless of sexual orientation, gender, 
identity, regardless of skin color, regardless of race, regardless of position or financial ability, regardless of the church clothes you wear, the number of rings in your ear or nose or anything else. You see, friends, the religion of Jesus is that beautiful. Friends, it is open to all. We've got work to do to live the religion of Jesus, of unconditional love. But with the Spirit's guidance, you can see it in action. It's possible. We can be more. Amen. We join in prayer. Holy, beloved one, we give thanks that you have created and are creating a universe of wonder and of possibility. You invite us into relationships with you, and we find our true purpose in response to your loving kindness. Thanks to your creative energy, we find ourselves in a world of beauty and mystery, of diverse and interdependent relationships with all things living and with all the elements of creation. The seasons of our lives parallel the patterns of growth and change in nature. We are born, we live, we grow, we experience, we die. We're part of the eternal everything. We belong, we're at home with you. We live, we move, and have our being in you. And so we sing our praise to you, Holy One. We thank you for the daily blessings of sleep and rest, waking hours of activity and accomplishments, relationships with family and friends, where we receive and return love. We thank you for conversations with neighbors over back fences, <clears throat> telephones and social media contacts with family and friends that keep us connected. We thank you for the benefits, the support, the safety of community. We give thanks for food, for shelter, safety, for birds that sing in our backyards, nervous squirrels, barking dogs, growing things, the red tulips, the yellow daffodils, the multicolored roses. We thank you for our gardens of lettuce, onions, peas, carrots to plant, to tend, to get our hands dirty with and then to enjoy. For these and all the simple pleasures that make life good, we sing our praise to you, Creator. We acknowledge the shadow side of our humanity. We lament the times our egos misshape our actions with self-interest instead of serving the goods of others. We lament that sometimes we prefer to live in a bubble of blissfulness untouched by the condition, the pain, the suffering of others. We lament our failure to live in harmony with creation. We exploit, abuse, misuse, squander, pollute, consume with too little thought for the future. Free us from ourselves so that we can live in harmony with the natural order. We lament our failures to live in community. We divide into tribes of black, colored, white, developed nations, poor nations, Competing ideologies, friend and enemy, us, them, insiders, outsiders, those who are acceptable and unacceptable. We fail to build that universal, compassionate community. 
free us from ourselves for the good of our common humanity. While acknowledging our brokenness, we must also celebrate the good and claim hope because of your universal spirit of love, which is greater than our human failures. We give thanks for the divine image in everyone that when awakened calls out our better, better angels. We rejoice when by your grace we rise above our ego's innate survival instinct, when we can let go of ourselves in the interest of others. We give thanks for the prophets, the wise ones, the visionaries, down the centuries, those who work for peace, for harmony, for justice for all. We give thanks for large-hearted activists working to overcome racism, sexism, and the phobias that deny human rights. We give thanks for ecologists and scientists calling human greed to account and turning us to greener economies. And we thank you for ordinary citizens horrified by hatred who unite in compassion and concern and march and hold visual and create memorials to reach out to victims and to show that love is stronger than evil and hate. We think of the love and compassion engendered by the murder of the Offsaw family in London. We thank you that they, the people across the country have spoken up and have identified and named Islamophobia. We think of the impetus for actual reconciliation spurred on by the horror of the discovery of the remains of indigenous children. And we thank you for the solidarity across the country, not just in indigenous communities, but in all communities where caring people have put out children's shoes in libraries and civics uh, buildings. We thank you for the expressions of nobility of spirit, tirelessly displayed by the scientists, by frontline workers, healthcare professionals, long-term care workers, community service workers, and all who are leading us through the pandemic. And we give thanks for all the acts of kindness and love and goodness carried on daily, quietly, by caring people, for all the demonstrations of your loving purpose being fulfilled among us. Our God, we sing praise. And in this Pride Month, as it moves to a close, we join in prayer. We pray the prayer of Jordan Sullivan. O love that will not let us go, our hearts are filled and overflowing with joy, deep love, and gratitude. We're thankful for the gifts of all affirming ministries, and communities of faith who open their churches, their homes, their hearts to two-spirited and LGBTQIA plus people and all their interesting, intersecting identities. We're thankful for the love that will not let us go. We're thankful for Pride Marches, Pride Month, for all those who publicly, intentionally, and explicitly affirm that two-spirited LGBTQIA QIA people are children of God. We're thankful most of all for the blessings of a love that is and always has been there for us. The truth at the heart of our faith that you are love echoes today 
in words and in music, in friendship and family, in our hearts and minds, and continues to challenge us to love. We pray for our hearts and minds to be open to our own homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, and to be open to our own racism, sexism, ableism, sizeism, and all the other isms and ways that we fear those who are different from us. We pray to learn how to recognize the kinship between our souls and the souls of those who to us are strangers. We pray that we will never cease in our journey to learn how to love more radically. We pray in the name of the love that flips tables and cracks whips, the love that heals those judged by religious leaders and powers, the love that lives and loves among the marginalized and the outcasts. All these prayers spoken aloud and those whispered in the silence of our hearts we offer to you, gracious God, through Jesus, our brother, mentor, friend, and Savior, and together pray his prayer using the century-old traditional words of our heritage. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. May it be so. Well, our time of worship has come to an end. I hope you enjoyed this service put on by the Affirming Committee at Grace United Church in Hanover, Ontario. Again, I'm Adam Olivero, the chair of that committee, and uh, I just want to leave you with this one final message. Beloveds, let us go with hearts full of courage that we might practice love that disrupts bigotry. Let us go with minds open to experiencing gods in ways strange and unexpected, in ways ordinary and everyday. And let us go with joy, for the creator of all of life goes with us. Amen. Miigwech. Thanks be to God. Thanks for joining us for worship. Due to the current COVID-19 measures, we're not able to gather in person. However, our communities need your support more than ever, and every offering is a blessed gift. Did you know that you can specify if you'd like your offering used for our local missions and services that go directly to help those in our community that need it the most? We'd like to thank each and every one of you, whether you've donated time or treasure to keep our churches going through the current COVID-19 measures. If you'd like to send an offering, you can send it to treasurer at graceunitedhanover.ca or mail 310 12th Street, Hanover, Ontario, Canada, N4N1V6.